This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. You're listening to the West End Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West End Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and XWH employee. It's a third straight Premier League defeat for the Amers after a painfully poor performance against Brighton on Sunday. Three games, no points and no goals. We talk about underperformers, David Moyes, the skipper's post-match comments, Connor Coventry and the next two games before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. X, we lost to Man City and put it down to losing to a superior side. We lost to newly promoted Nottingham Forest and put it down to bad luck. Yesterday, we lost again, this time to Brighton. What's the excuse this week? Um, our bogey side. No, I, 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 do you know what? I don't think you can offer excuses for yesterday's performance. I thought it was a really, really bad performance. I, I if you if you want to be honest on this show, which is what we always are, that there are no excuses for yesterday. Yesterday was just a bad day at the office. We didn't perform. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think there's a couple of players, particularly that are really letting us down at the moment. And um, yeah, just just not a good performance. Just offered nothing. Going forward defensively looked fragile at times and um yeah just a, a nothing performance really worrying performance i should say well it is worrying right? absolutely it is i mean no one was on their toes we were a yard behind the pace second to every ball no quality in possession no productivity in possession no quality on the ball no intensity and no desire and this is going into a game that all the fans could see that we needed to win but the players turned up like it was some sort of pre-season friendly. And I am genuinely concerned now, X, because we actually showed poor form towards the end of last season. Mm. If you stitch the last seven games of last season to the three that we've lost, it's actually one win in 10 for us now. I mean, that's yeah. relegation form. I hate to say it, I really do, but Moyes is under pressure now. Oh, 100% he's under pressure. I mean, you go, you go, into, you go into next week's game against Villa. If you take out the European game, and um, if we lose that, then we've got Chelsea, uh, sorry, Tottenham, then Chelsea. I, I don't know if I can see us getting anything from those two games. And then, you know, 
it's it's not looking good, is it? And he, he is under pressure. And I'll tell you what, he's putting himself under pressure. There's a couple of things that you know, I don't want to dig out the manager particularly. He's done great for us two years of what, or even more, if you include the relegation battles um, of doing superb for us. No one could have anticipated he would have done as well for us as he has. And I hate to dig him out. And I hate to dig out individual players, which but I'm going to because there's a number of things at the moment that aren't right. And I don't know if you want me to go into it now, but the, the, the key thing for if we state to the manager for now, he's playing a player, one player in particular, and a couple of others that are just not performing, one that hasn't performed for ages. He's playing... Uh, so who are check. these players you're talking about? Thomas Suchek is a passenger in every single game at the moment, yep, and he I has agree. been and he has been for a long time. Now, I don't like to blow my trumpet, although I do occasionally on Twitter, just to get back at trolls, but I've been saying this for ages, I, and, and anyone that listens to this show will tell you, I say it, then you do the impression and say I've got an event against him, which I know you do for comedy reasons but it's it isn't a vendetta against him it's just a simple fact the player has not performed honestly i think you know i always go back to when he won hammer of the year yeah he probably deserved it but i think people looked beyond the, yeah he scored goals so goals are important goals win game okay he probably should have been in contention but if he took the goals out i don't think he performed that well last year didn't perform at all really for probably for the whole of the season and this season has been terrible now you've got i i was appalled i'm going to be quite controversial today i was appalled by some of the things that were on twitter after the um european game on thursday about Connor coventry i was actually raging i'm going to be honest with you to the point where i had to take myself off because i could feel myself bubbling and i could feel myself about to launch into some people people that i get on with and people that i like but i just had to resist it connor didn't play great he did but he didn't play badly i'd say a six and a half out of ten maybe possibly a seven he did some good things but others not so well he could have been more positive on the ball he could have been a bit stronger a couple of times yeah granted it wasn't the greatest of performances however it wasn't bad for a youngster there's potential there to improve Declan was exactly the same when he first came into the team but the main problem that he's got was he's playing alongside a guy that doesn't get into space doesn't move with the ball doesn't talk like he never communicates doesn't really get stuck in only offers aerial ability that for me and i've always said if he was five foot seven he wouldn't be in this team right he wouldn't because oh, most things he offers at the moment without now that you take the goals away are ability in the air both defensively and in attack right and aside from that he doesn't offer anything and people were digging out connor on connor on thursday massively disgusting for a, a young well i know he's not that young 22 but for a player trying to make his mark in the team to get the shit he got people say he needs to be sold people say he's crap blah, blah, blah. okay if you think that after 10 15 games they give the guy a chance he's played well in pre-season he's played well at nk dons give him a chance they then start to dig out Declan yesterday. Declan's got loads of abuse on social media yesterday. Loads of abuse. Now, I don't want to talk too much about, like, you know, relationships I have, but I know people that know Declan. He, he feels frustrated at the moment. And the common denominator for these two central midfielders is that they're playing alongside Thomas Suchek. Now, this has been a problem for a long time. It's not just this season, a long time. I cannot tell you whether he adds anything to anything apart from in the air and i know that's harsh and i hate digging out players i love him i love your impressions of him i love the fact he scores goals i love the fact he likes potato salad i like the fact he's got mates in the team and he's a popular figure i want the guy to do well but he's not being helped by his manager either by consistently playing him when he's not contributing anything if you were playing a game with a, like a Declan in defensive midfielder, a more creative midfielder alongside him, or someone like Connor or Flynn Downs alongside him, and then a more creative midfielder further forward, you'd have more impact. And then if you brought Thomas Suchek on as an impact sub, I think he'd start to get his confidence back because he'd start to, you know, if you bring on a six foot four midfielder, it's going to ruffle some feathers from the opposition. I think it, Moyes needs to sort out that issue immediately. Gerard Bowen hasn't performed this season, although I am under the impression that he might have a slight injury that they're trying to work through. Um, but nonetheless, he hasn't performed this season. In fact, no, no one really has, have they? I mean, you, you can't particularly mm. say anyone's played particularly well this season. But for me, 
in the central of midfield. How many of our attacks go through the middle? None. I even watched him yesterday, and I said to my dad, just watch, just watch him. And, mate, when I used to play for my school football team, particularly if I was in the A team, because I was always on the brink of being, um, when I was at school, on the brink of not being good enough for the A team, but in the B team, so I was always on between. So if I stepped up to the A team, I used to get really, really nervous. So I used to deliberately and I can admit to it now, like almost mark myself out of the game. So when the opposition had the ball, I'd almost look for a midfielder to track me so that they couldn't pass to me rather than being in space available. And I watched him yesterday and he did that a couple of times. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous for a professional footballer to do that. But I watched him, I just focused on him and he did. Something has to be done. We have to sit down and look at his play for the for the, for the um for, for going forward and work out how we can utilize him better because you don't become an all you're not a check international and a, a player that you hammer of the year without being able to offer something but at the moment whatever it is he's not offering it i i, I make you right i make you right i i, I don't know uh, yeah no i i don't i don't see what thomas offers west ham anymore and he has really been a disappointment uh, so far this season, but then everyone has. Last season, I thought he was disappointing. He's not the same player he was when he won Hammer of the Year. A um, couple of things that I would dispute that you've said there is... I, I can understand how playing with better players improves your game. I do understand that. But I can't have everyone's piss-poor performance just put on Thomas's shoulders. Oh, no, I'm not talking about every player in the team. I'm talking about the central midfield partner. If you're in a midfield of two, yeah, and which they are, and your other teammate out the two is not tracking players, is not winning the ball, is not offering you anything when you've got the ball, it's going to hinder you no matter how good you are. Declan Rice, as we all know, is a world-class player. World class. There's no two ways about it. And I think since Thomas Suchek's form has been a bit like this, his performances have dropped. And yes, it's not all down to Thomas that his performances have dropped. But I tell you something, right? In Europe, it's annoying because Declan's suspended again. But for Villa, for Villa, I would drop Thomas Suchek. I would drop him and I would play either Downs or Coventry alongside him. And then, I, or even Lanzini, one of those three. And then I would have a more attacking midfielder ahead of them. And, and I bet you get better results. Yeah. Uh, no, I do agree with that. I do agree. If we're focusing on the central midfield, then I, I do believe he's a weak link. And that does open up a variety of problems. And we've seen it. And it's it's not just him. I mean, Shufau was fantastic when he signed yeah, for West Ham. He's not been the same player. No, always um, goes down the wing, never cuts back inside. Crossing's not good enough. Yeah. Uh, but, but our attacking play, it's like we're playing... Uh, as a side that's lethargic three games into the season and, and a team with no confidence. I mean, there's nothing worse for me than to see an attacking player receive the ball, then give it back. Yeah, 100%. I want my attacking player to get the ball and have a go at the defence. If you lose it, you lose it. Yeah. You, you know, you'll beat some defenders. You won't beat some defenders, but have a go because you're not going to score goals just giving the ball back. Kurt Zuma, I thought, was poor. Yeah. Yesterday, he looks he looks completely sluggish and, and ragged. There's something the not ball. right about his knees. I don't want to dramatise here, but there's something not right. You know, when he took his when he when he turned up for the club, um, when we signed him, his knees were an issue in the medical. There's no two ways about it. It, it was a fact. Uh, his knees were an issue when he was at Chelsea. He was out for a long term. He's been out with an injury again with his knees, which he only let recover naturally rather than have an operation. He's you could tell when he gave the ball away for that second for that first goal you watch him get back he's so slow everyone's overtaking him everyone you watch yeah. watch it back he, he can't run properly at the moment I don't think right okay alright well that's not ideal either um, but, uh, you know, one thing that I, I, I desperately want to avoid is making excuses for these players because I, I just don't think they deserve excuses because honestly X right I, I, I genuinely believe that the players are letting the manager down and, mm. and everyone is, is pointing their finger towards Moyes at the moment right but when I look at the stability that Moyes has brought this club, the recruitment on and off the field, what we've achieved in the Premier League and Europe, we're pretty much, pretty much the same group of players, by the way. I don't see what more he can do. Yes, there are decisions he has to make with the likes of Suchek. I get that, right? But I watch these players perform like they don't give a shit in a game that we had to win on the back of a poor start. And it makes me sick, right? Because after the game, they'll drive home in their fancy cars, their big fancy houses, get 
balls deep in their well-beating misses, whilst <laughs> Moyes is at home under pressure, probably not sleeping a wink. And that don't sit well with me because, yes, you can talk about how we're not clinical enough in front of goal. Yes, you can talk about how certain players ain't linking or individuals aren't performing as they should do. But when they're turning up, not making the effort, you know, they're, they're, I don't want to go on, you know, like a, a massive rant here, but, you know, people in a, a in a, a cost of living crisis, if you like, spend their hard-earned money going to West Ham and all they want is to see their players on the pitch give something back. But when they turn up like they turn up against Brighton in a game that I honestly think we had to win, yes, Brighton are a decent side, but they weren't outstanding against us. I, it, it, it just... It really fucking needles me how I think it always t- seems to come back down to David Moyes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you've definitely got an argument there, mate. I'm not dismissing it, but uh, completely. But ultimately, he is the manager. So ultimately, he has to get the players to perform for these games. And yes, you would think it shouldn't be his job to get a, um, you know, a professional footballer to perform. But but he needs to get the tactics right. He needs to get the subs right. And he needs to get. And I'm not I'm not sitting here in absolute panic stations. You know, Twitter and everything's complete meltdown. The world's going to end. I'm not saying that we're three games in, and I do think we will turn it around. And I do think we'll bring in some extra players. And I do think by the end of the season we'll still have a decent season. I'm just dressing the here and now. But I I, I can't believe that a Premier League manager can't see how ineffective Suchek is at the moment. I can't believe it took you know, like till the 55th minute to change anything yesterday. Um, I can't believe that the, 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 the players... I, I don't think he fills the players with confidence, particularly the attacking ones. Now, again, you could argue he shouldn't have to. I get that. They're Premier League international footballers. But <clears throat> he slagged off Finn Downs in the press. Um, recently did an, art, did an interview saying so he doesn't think he's good enough he's got a lot to improve on guys not even played for the club yet so God knows how he feels Connor Coventry never really knows where he stands doesn't really know if the manager rates him or not after the game on Thursday I'm not sure how much feedback he got as to how he performed whether it be positive or negative um, Ben Rama always digging him out in the press um, Diop Diop refused to play for us anymore because he'd been basically told your fifth choice they've got no chance at this club anymore um, Maseraku confidence massively shot by him um, and you know I'm not I'm not pinpointing everything on Moyes don't get me wrong and I still think he's the manager to go forward but, but there are things that do need addressing these these players you know the amount of, these players are confidence players Antonio's another clearly a confidence player so the way to manage him is not to say you need to score this week you're not performing this week you need to do this you need to do that put your arm around him and say look mate look at the five goals or whatever it was he scored against Norwich look at that goal look at that goal you are quality you you know if you hadn't opted for Jamaica you'd be in the England squad you are this that and the other build their confidence up but everything at the moment has that negative vibe and I think another crucial thing is the is the loss of certain people from the dressing room Mark Noble obviously in particular he apparently he's on holiday at the moment and hasn't been in at all and stuff but it was always going to be a, a bit of a Ferguson thing at Man United when Noble left um, having that person not there anymore but you've also taken out david martin who was also very popular in the, in the dressing room ryan fredericks arthur mazuaku even Dirk was quite popular yarmolenko was popular um, i don't know if i said fredericks but fredericks is another one you take those players out of the core as well the atmosphere just doesn't feel right at the moment i don't think and he's got to get in at least three or four new players, I would say, get them all together. So this is our squad. We can win things and turn it around, which I think he will, but that's what he's got to do. Yeah. I mean, you make some interesting points there. Um, I mean, in terms of how he's handling players, I think there are agreements with some counter arguments with other, I mean, with Ben Rama and he has publicly criticized him. He's probably the best I've seen him at West Ham at the moment. He's the so best how, player we've how, got so far, yeah. Yeah, so how detrimental has it been that he has come out and publicly criticised him? Has that actually improved his game? Is Quite that actually possibly. good management that he's you done? Could, it? Because we're seeing the best of him now. You could argue that. You could argue that. But could you could also argue, could we have not seen it earlier if he just supported him earlier rather than criticising It's hard to say because there's no clear answer. And look, I'm not digging David Moyes out at all. I, I'm going on my own opinion and from conversations I've had, I just know that certain players, you know, 
confidence players and you see in the press. I don't understand what digging Finn Downs out. No, I don't understand that either, to be honest. I'll give you that one. That's a strange one. I mean, for Diop to be told he was fifth choice, well, you know, an, an argument that you've raised is that players sometimes don't know where they stand. Well, he can't win then, can he? Because he's told Diop where he stands and he's chosen a decision to leave the football club and he yeah, was but, fifth choice. Yeah, true. But it, do you really say to a player, I mean, there's telling them where they stand, but there's also just completely writing them off. The best way to say to a fifth choice centre-back is, look, at the moment, I've signed a Gwed. He's obviously going to be first choice alongside Zuma. And then it's for you, Dawson and Ogbonna to play for the third, to, to, to get into those two. He's like, it's not, not literally say you are fifth choice, say you're going to play for or just say to him, yeah, you're ready, you, you need to go, right? You've got to, we'll move you on, we'll sell you. But it, it, we dragged it out. We had a deal there for Fulham and we dragged it out another two or three weeks. We should have just got rid of him then if that was the case, when the, when the offer was in that was right. Because I don't think we actually gained that much money by delaying it from Fulham um, and got rid of him straight away. I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's a bit of, there's just negativity creeping into things and the interviews that the players and the manager are giving suggest that to me. Yeah, I agree with the um, the feeling of negativity at the moment and it isn't good. I mean, with Diop, I don't know what David Moyes did say to him. I don't know if you've heard. No, well, I, well, I don't know specifically, but all I do know is that for a player, that you know, let's, let's not get it wrong. Diop was a good player for us once upon a time. And actually, when Zuma got injured last year, I thought, bearing in mind Diop played against um, Leon. you know, I, I, I thought and he came in at the last minute against Leicester. I thought Diop actually played all right. Uh, uh, towards the end of last season and was possibly on the way back into being a, a, a good point. I don't know specifically what he said to him, but for Diop, who's never really been a problem in the changing room or whatever, to re to refuse to play in a pre-season friendly and against Manchester City because he wanted to leave. Something obviously has not been handled right there, has it? Well, but then how well can you handle that? I mean, you, you can let him go. Um, but then, you know, there is also negotiations. Whatever Fulham wanted to pay us, we wasn't happy with at the time. So then you negotiate a better fee, which does take longer to do. And 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 if you're David Moyes and Diop comes knocking on the door and says, listen, David, I, I want to play first team football. Do I have that at West Ham? And David Moyes has just signed a Gwerd and he's obviously looking at additional centre-halves. Does he lie to him to keep him at the club and cause an even bigger problem? When Diop says, well, actually, you said I was going to be given a chance and I won't be. And then suddenly you've got a player that's actively unhappy at the club and he's causing unrest. And now we can't get rid of him because the transfer window's passed. Or are you honest with him? You say, look, I've signed a Gwed. This is how I want to set up. Um, I am also looking at another centre-half. As it stands, Issa, you know, I think your fifth choice centre-back. Centre I, I don't, again, I think he's in a no-win situation there, Moisey. Personally, I understand what you're saying. I do, but I do think in order to have a squad of footballers, you have to manage those ones that are on the fringes well. Because if anything, they're the ones you have to manage better than the ones that are actually in your first eleven. Because they're the ones that are most likely to get unhappy. So you you need to have a way of sort of giving them hope or a chance to come in. Otherwise, if if you're that you know, straight to the point, you've got like 11, you're only going to have 11 players happy at one time. You, I think you have to open up the doors for opportunity. And maybe, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on this one because I've just kind of added that to my main gripe. As we've been talking, my main gripe is that there are players in this team that shouldn't be playing right now. And it takes too long to realise that or change it. And that I feel like there's negativity creeping in. As I say, I do not want anyone to say, oh, he's saying Moyes is out, oh, he's slaughtered. Moyes, I'm disappointed with certain things at the moment, but he is still the man to get for the job at this point. And, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks with a few new signings, a win in Europe, a good performance against Aston Villa. We tend to do quite well in London derbies. Um, a couple of good performances there. Chelsea have just lost 3-0 away at Leeds. So hopefully we can capitalise on that. Then we've got what Wolves and Everton and Newcastle, all of those are winnable. So I'm not talking crisis stations now. I'm talking, let's see where we are going up into, you know, possibly the the break at the end, that's at the end of October. I'll just see where we are then. Um, but there are things that do need to change. Yesterday's performance was not good enough. It's a simple uh, thing. And 
it's one game because, like I said, I think we played all right against Forest, and I thought we played okay against Man City, and we won in Europe. So it is one game. So there's no need to get completely dramatic about it. However, the issue with Suchek is not just one game. The issue with Suchek is a season, uh, more than a season now. Um, and you know, you've got to start addressing that. You've also got to address Jared Bowen. What's happening with him? You've got to sort address some issues out. Is what I would say. So if he is sticking with underperforming players and he's not managing players the way he should be. And there are question marks over him tactically, including substitutions. Why, in your opinion, is he the man for the job? Because of what he's achieved in the previous years. You know, you can't knock what he's achieved. You know, every person in life and every person in football goes through challenging spells. This is a challenging spell for him at the moment, I would say, because like you alluded to at the start of the show, it's, it's what, 10 games or something that this has been going on for as well. It's not just these three games a season. You can't dismiss what he's done previously. He's done a good job for us, a very good job, an exceptional job for us. That you know, West Ham fans, as Declan Rice tried to explain, have got higher expectations now than they had two or three years ago, and that's down to the success of the team. The success of the team is down to the manager, predominantly. So you 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 can't take away his achievements, and you can't just abandon someone after. A few, like a period of time where things haven't gone as well as you'd hoped, but they've got a meeting today. I believe they're in a meeting now with the, the directors and him and other people to assess the situation and to see where we're going um, in terms of recruitment and as a club. Um, and you sit down and you take stock, but he at the moment you've got to back him because of the fact that he has done as well as he has previously. Of course, there has to come a time like anyone. Look at Ranieri at Leicester, won the league, and then was sat the season after. I think wasn't they um, mm. at Leicester? So there has to become a time when you draw the line at some point, but not after three games. You've got to give it, like I would say, at least another five or six before you start to make that decision. I know, it's so so sad to see him in this. I mean, it's like he's literally gone from hero to zero in everyone's yeah. eyes and now. I, I, and, well, uh, not, not in mine. He's not a, he's not a zero, not, not at all. I just think there's things that do need addressing quite quickly. I mean, going back to what you were saying about Connor Coventry, because I, I did kind of have certain questions mapped out. And uh, I think just through passion and, and kind of situational conversation, it's kind of... Um, been a bit backwards and forwards, but I, I want to go back to address Connor's opportunity against Fireball because um, that's what it was. It was an opportunity. And there's someone who maybe doesn't know where he stands. You know, he, he hasn't been sent out on loan again, which I think in itself sends a message and he does get the opportunity. My, my biggest gripe with Connor, I, I want him to do well at West Ham. I desperately do. I really do. And I think after a successful loan spell at MK Dons, he's earned a right to be given opportunities. But when you get given an opportunity, you have to take it, right? So there's two things I'm going to say about this. One is I don't think he did take it against Vyborg. I think he was very negative with the ball. I don't think he, he transitioned play quick enough or well enough. I think he got physically bullied by um, his counterparts against Fireball. Um And I, I I think I'd be possibly generously giving him a six out of 10 personally. Then you've got the argument of, well, look who he's playing alongside. So as a senior pro, how much guidance does he get from that senior, senior pro? I would say that would be a fair argument if Connor was 17. But Connor is now 22 years of age. It has to come a point where he stops getting wrapped up in cotton wool and he is either good enough or he isn't good enough. Yeah, but that's not after one start, mate. It's, it's not that... after one. No, it's not after one start. But... Exactly, that's my point. And, no, and... Yeah, but my but X, my point is Connor has also been at West Ham a long time, and we're only really now at the age of twenty two starting to see him get opportunities. And the one that we are concentrating on is against a pretty bang average side at best. And all I'm saying is, I don't think he took that opportunity. Yeah, that's all I'm not. saying. No, probably not. And I'd agree with you. And actually coming away as someone that supported him a lot and you know knows the family and that. I um I was I was probably the right words disappointed is the right word, but I felt he could do better, definitely. And I thought that he didn't quite take it, maybe as well as Ashby did. Ashby, I thought it took the opportunity probably better than Connor. He did. did. Yeah. yeah. However, 
Connor has been instructed to keep it simple, pass the keep possession and stuff. Um, he's probably thought that's what the manager wants to see in training. You know, he gets um, you know lots of comments positively from other coaches um, uh, about his game. Yes, he could have been more positive, a hundred percent. I think he could have gone forward, but that will come. I remember when Declan made his first few starts for for West Ham. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating this. I wish there was a way he could go back to tweets. I remember clearly because I can picture the scene. I was on a. I'd been to the game. I think no, I hadn't. I hadn't been to the game. It was on. It was. It was on. Um, I was watching it on a feed because I was at a campsite. I was at Hopton campsite. For those of you that know, which is near. Or Felix, not Felix, though. No. Somewhere in Suffolk, lower stuff, right? It's there. And I was there on the couch. So I was watching it on my phone. And he and Declan played all right. I think he might have given the ball away for one of the goals, but he was okay. Not great, but okay. Um, the amount of abuse he got on Twitter, I remember it was ridiculous. Ridiculous to the point where. I had to message, and I'm not going to name the account because it's not fair. It was a long time ago. I had to message one of the bigger West Ham news accounts and say to them, mate, that's just not on for a kid trying to break into the team. And yes, he was younger than what Connor is now, but I had to message him and say, give him more games than just a half of football. Let him have a couple of months, see see where he is, and then make your judgment there. And I know football's a quick business and stuff, and you know, you need a results business, and you need results quickly. But I said that to that account, and it was like, oh, he's, he's not as good as everyone makes out, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying De- Connor's as good as Declan, but that's a ridiculous statement to make because Declan is world-class and was always going to be. But to write him off after 80 minutes of football, which is what the majority of West Ham accounts that I saw did, is just not West Ham. Look at you know previous youngsters that have come through. I, I, I remember James Tonkins wasn't great to start with. Stephen Bywater wasn't great. Even the likes of Rio Ferdinand had mistakes in him when he first started. Give the guy 10, 15 games. If he's not good enough at 22, then move him on. But the, the, the stuff on Twitter, sell him a shit, he's useless. I just think it was just over the top, personally. Well, I, I totally agree. And listen, I, I'm, I've not been complimentary towards Connor when it comes to the viable game. But as a player, I, I like him. Now, I don't know if he'll make it at West Ham. I'll be honest, I don't. I, I don't. I don't, mate. And he reminds me of Noble in the way he plays. I'm not 100% convinced he'll make it at West Ham, but I'm not going to make that judgment right now. No, and this is the point I'm making, right? So growing up as a, as a kid, one of the many things I loved about being a West Ham fan was the set of morals that West Ham fans lived by. And one of them was if an academy player was coming through, you'd get behind him. You, you would give him 100%. If he gave exactly. you 100%, then you'd give him 100%. And I just think it's the dog shit world that we live in of this fucking trolling cancel culture that we have where these people, I think, just for attention, just to feel special, just to feel powerful, think that they can just slag someone off after one game of football and demand that, that they're sold. I mean, I I don't know if this is a problem within society or whether it's a generational thing, but it seems to me like the core values of being a West Ham fan, looking after your own, doesn't seem to exist anymore. Certainly in the world of social media, which is why I try and do everything I can to avoid it. I fucking hate it. Um, But it's, it's just bizarre. So whatever my thoughts and opinions are on Connor generally and that one game that I'm talking about certainly isn't going to dictate my opinion of him for the rest of the season. Because what are these people going to say, right, the same people that are slagging him off, if he comes on in the next game, he's outstanding and scores the winner? Because I bet bet they won't be fucking praising him. So these people are just troublemakers. So I I didn't like that aspect of it. I didn't see too much of it because I didn't want to look. But I've heard from you how much abuse he got. And I do think it's disgusting. Absolutely. Oh, mate, it's awful. And, I, and I, honestly, I look through a canary. I remember when Anton Ferdinand played, um, when he first got into the team, he was playing at right back. And obviously people made comparisons with his brother. I remember Anton Ferdinand being really poor for the first 15, 20 games. And I remember like, not on social media. I mean, to be fair, social media didn't exist then, but I remember saying to my mates, I don't think he's going to make it. I don't think he's good enough and stuff, but like within conversation, but prepared to give him a chance. They gave him a chance and, you know, he wasn't quite as good as his brother, but he had a good, a really good, good time at West Ham. You know, I remember Joe Cole when he first came to West Ham, he had all the tricks and the skills, but not the greatest end product, you know, and Jack Collinson, Freddie Sears, 
all of these players, Matthew Rush, if you want to go back even further, you know, they, they took time to adjust Danny Williamson. To write someone off after 80 minutes, is, and so this is a guy that's been in the academy since he was like 10 or 11 or whatever, loves the club, determined to make it at West Ham, doesn't want to leave the club, could have left the club. He had an offer from Celtic a season or so ago. Um, you know, there's an Irishman trying to make his mark in you know the Irish national team. You go and join Celtic, you go, it's a good career move for you. Um, and he didn't want to do that, he wants to stick it out at West Ham, he wanted to make a go of it. And I had to take myself off Twitter. And then it's the same last night with people just absolutely slaughtering Declan Rice. Yeah, Declan Rice hasn't had his best start to the season. He hasn't, but then no one has. And as I say, I don't think playing alongside Suchek helps him. The people were absolutely slaughtering Declan Rice yesterday. And I just thought to myself, like, how fickle are we? Yes, people can tell around and say, well, you're doing it about Suchek. But mine, you know, I, I have never tweeted it really and b i don't say it on a public podcast now but it's built up over a year or so and i'm not slaughtering the man i'm not saying we need to sell him i'm just saying we need to adjust what's gone wrong here and work it out um but yeah i just found the whole the whole stuff just just awful and i i hope connor plays on thursday I hope he does. Declan's suspended, mm. you know, mm. so there's a, there's a strong chance he will. I actually hope it's him and Finn Downs together, or, or him and Lanzini together, and let's just see how he does. Connors knows that he needs to be a bit more positive now. Let's see see what he does. See if he give him a chance, give him three or four games, you know. Just but yeah, I don't know. Found mm. it very disappointing anyway. Mm. Well, last week someone asked us the question. Are we already seeing the effects of not having Mark Noble at the club, right? And that brings me to leadership. I'll be honest, Dex, I didn't see any of that from Declan yesterday. Now, we all love Deck. He's popular with the players. He's popular with the fans. He loves a laugh and a joke. He's one hell of a player. But does he have the maturity to captain a side through the difficult times? Because as much as he's loved by the players, does he command the respect a captain needs when the chips are down? It's a good question. I think, you know, Declan's obviously compared to, you know, Mark, don't forget Mark Noble didn't become captain of West Ham until Kevin Nolan left. You yep. know, Kevin Nolan left in what? When Billich's first season, wasn't it? So 2000, um, 2015, he left. So Mark Noble became captain in 2015. So he was well into his 20s at that point. Declan's been captain of the club if you include last year, pretty much since the age of 21, 22. So obviously, in terms of life experience, he's no way as experienced as Mark Noble. In terms of football experience, he probably is, because he's played for England, you know, nearly 30-odd times now, isn't he? Um, I think Declan is the right person to be captain. What I would say in Declan's defence is that in the past, captains have always, always had other captains within the team alongside them so we've always we had Zabaleta in the past you know never captured West Ham but a great person to have in there in terms of leadership you know been there done that won the league of Man City captain Man City never captured West Ham but was there if needed you know you obviously had um Mark Noble there last year you had Yarmolenko who's captained his national team or you, you had um other players throughout the years that might not have been necessarily captains at West Ham Scott Parker's an obvious one you know, people forget he wasn't actually captain at West Ham very often there was Matthew Upson when Matthew Upson was there um, you know, there's always been other leaders in the squad, and I think you need that. I don't, whereas I don't think there are that many leaders in the squad now with Declan. I mean, you think who the vice captain is under Declan, and it's basically shared between Cresswell, Fabianski, and Ogbonna. You know, and I wouldn't say Fabianski communicates the best, arguable, whether Ogbonna and Cresswell do. Um, but I think it's a lack of leaders across the squad generally that is a that is an issue not necessarily Declan as captain because the players love Declan as a captain mm. they they love him they respect him he's you know he's also leading by example by being the, the best player um so I uh, think you can question that necessarily Declan but I think you can question the fact that there's not enough leaders in the squad which is why if we sign um, the two players, which I'll talk about in my section today, which I believe we're going to get close to signing, but I think most people know who they are anyway. Emerson and Benaken. Benaken's captain of Bruges. has been captain of Bruges for many years, and he's 30 years of age. That adds another captain. And Emerson is an Italian Champions League winning 
defender. So he will add leadership as well. And I think Moyes has actually identified the fact there's a lack of leaders in the squad and he's going to act. And that potentially is why we're going for those sorts of players. Mm. Well, in Dex's post-match interview, there was a section when he said, and I quote, the booing at full time was tough to hear because we're not Man City. Let's be real. We're not going to win the Premier League. But what we've done over the last two years is obviously the expectation of the fans and what we expect of ourselves. And X, I'll be honest, I found that bizarre. I found that bizarre because he's gone from basically saying the fans expect too much from the side we have to then contradict himself by saying the last two years has raised expectation from the fans and themselves. I mean, what did you make of what he said? Probably on reflection, it's not the greatest thing that he could have said, I, I admit. But what I think, I think Mark Noble has said similar in the past. And what I think they're trying to get across is, is that before, you know, the fans, these three games, if we'd lost them, you know, if we're talking about, you know, even as little as like five years ago, four years ago, the fans wouldn't be booing the team off the pitch as such. But because the team has achieved so much in the sense that we've got to a European semi-final and we've qualified for Europe two years in a row, we've sixth and seventh place finishes. The fans now expect us to be um, winning most weeks, which is fair enough, but that the expectations have shifted in recent seasons to what they were. And, you know, maybe the comparison with Man City is not the greatest thing to have said, but what I think he's trying to get over is that, you know, Manchester City expect to win every game because they are the best team in, in the in the league and arguably the world if they could do it in Europe a bit more consistently. And then, um, and I think he's trying to say, look, we're not to that standard, but what we are achieving at the moment is good and that the fans need to remember that. I think it just didn't translate as well as perhaps he would have liked it to have. Yeah, and you've also got to look into the fact that he said that, not on the back of losing to a good Liverpool side, we've lost at home to Brighton. So for him to say, look, let's be real, we're not Man City. Well, you don't have to be Man City to win a must-win game at home to Brighton on the back Mm. of one of the most shambolic performances I've seen for a long time from West Ham. Mm. And the players have to be held accountable for that. So for me, I just found that a really strange thing to hear from the club captain. Um, I don't, like I said, like I I mean, I talked to you a bit more about this off air, but I think he, he literally is, I think it just got lost a little bit in translation, but what he is trying to say is what like Mark Noble is trying to say and what like other people are trying to say is that the expectation levels are so much higher now than what they were. And I agree using that example against Brighton is probably not the best time to have said it, but the expectations are so much higher now that the fans sometimes might need to just take a step back and think, you know, we, we, we've been finishing sixth and seventh, Booing after three games is a bit harsh, but but then it was a terrible performance. So I think, yeah, they deserve the boos. They deserve yeah. the boos. There's yeah. no two ways about it. Yeah. Absolutely, categorically, they deserve the boos because they, they didn't want it, X. This is the problem, and it's the age-old um, statement that you make as a West Ham fan. You'll take the defeats. Fuck me. What West Ham fan listening to this podcast hasn't spent most of their life witnessing more defeats than wins? You'll take it. Because that's part of our DNA. But what you won't take is losing and not trying, not not trying um, for that badge, not giving your heart. Not you know, as a professional athlete, these players they're fucking ball watching. They're second to every ball. There's no commitment. There's no want. It's like I didn't want to be on the pitch. They look tired. Fucking three games into a season, and they just mm-hmm. didn't look like they wanted to be out there. And that's what's unacceptable to fans. It's the attitude. It's the way we lost. That's why they got booed. And that's why they deserve to get booed. 100%. Yeah, I, mean, I think Declan was just... So he massive. might be disappointed to hear the fucking boos, but you can magnitude that disappointment by 100 when you've got the fans that have made the effort to go there and the fucking ball lake of getting back home and spending money and watching that shit. His disappointment is nothing in comparison to the disappointment we felt in the stands. I know, I agree, but what I think you have to do, take into consideration, and I totally agree, it's not as disappointing as the fans, but he is hurting as the club captain. You know, he he, he wants the club to, to win every week. He loves the club. He, he He's 
you know, got a lot of time for the fans and, and, for, and you know, two weeks ago, everyone was loving Declan Rice, you know, everyone was saying what a legend he is, even before the game, you know, people, it's so funny, and the, the, I don't understand how people can't see how much they contradict themselves, but he, he was saying, you know, same, some accounts on Twitter would say, I oh, love my captain, after he did that Declan Rice, Rice, Rice baby thing on League of Their Own, yeah, and then after the game, the same people say, can't believe he does that, when he should be focusing on his football, and literally, like two, two, three hours later, so people yeah. that that reactionary and change their mind that quickly to fit the narrative. But the bottom line is, Declan Rice loves West Ham. He's hurting as much as we are when we play as bad against Brighton. And you've got to think, not that I'm excusing Anthony Joshua, but to relate it to Anthony Joshua's situation, he'd just been. Um, beaten in a crucial game for himself and he made a bit of a, a fool out of himself in the well not a bit that's the understatement a, a massive fall out of himself after the boxing match because emotions are high and you're disappointed in yourself and so on the, the guys just stuck a microphone in front of Declan and said how do you feel about being booed off at the end of the game he's not had a chance to sit there and think right I've, that's the question coming this is my answer and he can't say like we can on podcast right you take that bit out actually that doesn't sound right you say it fresh in the raw emotion of the game and I think what he's trying to state and maybe he didn't word it properly but he's trying to state is the club has came on so far in these last two years yes it was a bad performance today and he did say that as well you know it's not like he didn't say that I've got the quote here I'm annoyed and disappointed because this is not the level we have set we need to win the games next week we need to win the game next week it's as simple as that you know so so that's showing you that he, he is accepting that it was a bad performance oh well I'm pleased you said that because I, to be clear and I, I hope I was clear I did say there was a section in yeah. the interview when he said this and I, and I wanted that to be a talking point right. but of course he did then go on to say some of the things that you would you know have yeah. more of an expectation and, and of that's yeah, and that's why you need the context of it because, it, 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 yeah, he perhaps if you. I still don't that, agree with that bit that he did say, by the way. But I take oh, your point about emotions are running high, etc. Yeah, no, I don't necessarily agree with it. It's perhaps not the best thing to say. I think never to a support, to, to be honest with you, to a to to a football team supporter, should you say, well, we're never going to be as good as that team, regardless, like pretty much 99.9% of West Ham fans never think we're going to be as good as Manchester City but it's that hope that you know keeps the football thing interesting so I think dismissing that we're never going to be a Manchester City is perhaps not the greatest thing to have said however Mm. in the grand scheme of things what he's trying to do is to say the expectations that West Ham fans have now is so much higher because of the success that we've had previously yes we're not performing very well at the moment we need to sort it out but rather than booing us and I don't know getting on our backs or whatever let's give us a bit of time to turn this around I think is the narrative he was trying to get at but like I say you know I'm not sure whether I've come out entirely as well as I would have liked on this podcast when talking about Suchek and Moyes and stuff because I'm talking passionately we don't rehearse this I don't know what questions you're going to ask me obviously I know roughly we're going to be talking about the game so I know what my opinions are but I don't know what's how it's going to communicate but I communicate through passion and neither you and I have an agenda uh, about what we're going to say so I don't know if I've come out entirely correctly about it and there'll be people on Twitter and people on Patreon or whatever that say oh I can't believe he said that that's a load of bullshit but what he is trying to get out the message he tried to get out I think in the cold light of day with a bit of you know emotions taken out of it is yes we're not performing we've set ourselves such high standards that we're not meeting at the moment that's the, the message he wants to get out mm. well talking of post-match interviews Moisey said that he thought we were doing okay until the penalty, um, yeah. which was a turning point. I mean, wouldn't you, do you agree with that? I'm assuming no, you don't. No. I, don't <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe we, we was at a different game, but um, that was yeah. a strange one as well, I thought. Well, this is what I mean. It was a strange one. It was a strange one. I don't think we were. And then when we've been playing well, sometimes I think he, he criticises them too much. And it's, I don't know. David Moyes is a world-class manager. He's achieved a lot in his time, far more than I obviously have in football and any of us fans have. So I am, I will respect, um, I'll respect his opinion on that. And, and if, if that's what he thinks and that's what he thinks, maybe it's a psychological thing that he realises that confidence is low and that he's got to try and turn it around. But, um, but then on the flip side, I've just dug out the quote he said on, on Downs. The things I've seen of him, he needs to do better. We'll get him a game when we can. All the players have to earn it. We just spent 11 million on him. 
You know, mm. it's like it's not like he's just something came through the youth team. We just it spent eleven million on him, so it's a bit of a strange comment. But mm. as as I say, at the end of the day, I don't want this to be like I'm trying to get rid of boys. I'm not. I'm just voicing disappointment on the performance on Saturday, Sunday. I'm just voicing concerns. But as I say, I do believe he's still the right manager for us. He's done an incredible job for us, and I think we need to still back that he'll turn us around out of this but if i'm being brutally honest those are the things that need sorting quickly yeah what did you think of the penalty decision because i mean regardless of the penalty if we'd have lost the game we were that fucking poor but it, it's it's an interesting talking point once again with var involved i've only seen the replay a couple of times and i think i've got an opinion on it have you got one it's a tough one i do think this is a, it could go either way in terms of opinions if i'm honest I think it probably is a penalty just because if you look, and again, you have to, it's very pernickety, but if you look clear at, at when the first bit of proper contact appears to be, it appears to be as their feet are on the line, by definition of the rules, if the foul is on the line, it's a penalty. Therefore, it is a penalty, Is I, I think, is my opinion. Right. I mean, I, I think maybe coming into this discussion, I should have, studied it a little bit more because I could be wrong with what I'm saying now but I, I couldn't actually see any contact yeah, and it's, I, not, I, it's not the greatest it's not like a yeah I agree it's not a yeah and I think he's and, and, and I think he's 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 played for the penalty and he's taken the opportunity of someone flying into him and I think you know as a defender if you fly into someone anywhere near the box you're always going to run that risk and I think yeah. he, he just exploited that opportunity in terms of is it enough to have gone down? Honestly, I looked at it and I thought, I, I don't even see where there's any contact. I think um, the thing is, though, if, mate, if you're running through on goal, I think if it was the other way around, if that was Antonio, I think we would have been disappointed not to have got a penalty for that. Oh, but yeah. No, I, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But even, even if you look at it from a neutral's perspective, I just think VAR would have been looking at that and they would have had the benefit of studying it. And, and I, I don't know... I don't know what they would have seen. I mean, look, I haven't studied it myself, but I, I couldn't see where the contact was. Yeah. I, and I, I just would know. like to think VAR would have been like, okay, it looked like a penalty, but actually studying it, I can't see where there's physical contact. I kind of, I do kind of agree with you. My only slight thing to that is if a player like he did launches himself at the ball like that and mm. doesn't get anywhere near the ball and is literally either touching you or very close to touching you when you're running full pelt and someone's sliding at your ankles like that it is gonna like make put you off and make you potentially fall over regardless of whether there's contact or not it's like if you sort of you know when you sort of threaten to punch someone and you sort of throw a punch but don't actually follow it through you know that's enough to make someone flinch or duck backwards you, 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 do you see what I mean? Like, I think if, the, if there's that much like, I don't know what the word is, like uh, that much like going for the ball and that much like speed at the tackle and going at the ankle and going nowhere near the ball. Of course, if you're miles away from the player as well, then it's not a penalty. But when you're debating whether he's touched him or not, but you've gone in like that, then I think... I think it is a penalty. It's different to if the play, both players were standing on their feet and the player, I don't know, tried to take it around the defender and the defender stuck out his foot but didn't touch him. Uh, and then the guy's gone down. I would say no. When a guy's sliding in like that and you're a full pelt, I think, I think it's a penalty. I think it is. And I think he probably did touch him anyway to sort of complete the argument. Mm. Are you confident we'll qualify in Denmark? Yes. Mm. Confidence is a strong word. I I feel like I would put money on it. I, I don't think it depends what their fans are like and what the atmosphere is like. I mean, looking at their stadium, I guess they could create an atmosphere, but I don't think it's going to be anything like Frankfurt from what I can gather. I think we've got a 2 0 advantage. I wanted that. I said going into that game, the minimum we need is a 2 0 advantage. We've got that. It's annoying it wasn't three because it was, it was a crap goal to give away, but we've got a two guy advantage. I, I feel like our players are good enough to see that through. I wouldn't say confident entirely, but if you was to ask me whether I fancied West Ham at, I don't know, three to one, two to one to go through, I'd say, yeah, go on then, give me a bit of that. Yeah. I think we need an early goal. I think that's important. Um, because to be fair to them, even though I, I thought, apart from certain moments of brilliance from individuals, 
Um, like great to see scams you get off the mark. He took that really well. Jared Bowen's goal was superb. Ben Rama, different class to create that goal for Mickey. Apart from isolated moments of brilliance, generally across the board, I don't think we were that good. I don't think we performed that well. And actually, I was surprised by Viborg. I thought they were better than I expected them to be. And I think we'll go through as well. I do. But apparently, and I think this is right, apparently, arguably their two best players weren't part of the side on Thursday because of visa issues. So I'm assuming they will be available for this game. Um, and I don't know if they put if they get an early goal. I think, um, yeah, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I certainly wouldn't use the word confident, but I think the first goal in that game is important and hopefully it will... Uh, it will come our way. And <laughs> talking of hope, and we live in hope at the moment, as dramatic as that sounds, Villa Park on Sunday. I mean, how do you feel about the game? Um, that's a worry. I think, obviously, Villa, uh, it's not a bad time to play them. They've got their own, their own issues. Um, it's interesting because it looks like Ishmael Asar's transfer from Watford to Villa seems to have fallen through. So, Hopefully they won't be able to resurrect that because um, I wouldn't want him to play against us having been linked with him so much. Uh, I think it's a good time to play them, although obviously it's a good time to play us. Um, I hope we'll be able to get at least a draw out of that game. And, you know, whilst I want us to win the game, obviously a draw wouldn't be the end of the world to get a point on the board at Villa Park. Um, so I, I feel like we won't, I feel like we won't lose that game. Um, you know, I think this show for um, out of character for me has been quite a negative show. But I, as I say, I'm not panic stations yet. I've seen West Ham in far worse situations. Um, and in my life, you know, I've seen West Ham relegated three times. I've seen West Ham absolutely dire at times. And yes, Brighton was a, a dire performance. But we've had dire performances five, six, seven games in a row. This is a one-off. We weren't dire against Forest and we weren't dire against City. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to get a decent result in Europe, be through and then get a good result against Villa, and then go into the Spurs game full of passion, get a result against Spurs and Chelsea, and all of a sudden our season looks very, very different. The draw at Villa and the win against Spurs and Chelsea against our London rivals, seven points. Beating our London rivals, suddenly Moyes is the Messiah again. That's how fickle football is. So mm. I think a result against Villa should come, and I, and I would be disappointed if we lose, lost that there. Mm. Well, one excuse that's being offered up uh, is that it's too much on the players to play on a Thursday and then again on a Sunday. Do you buy into that? I mean, historically, it has always affected teams, you know, mm. particularly not particularly the not big teams. You know, Burnley suffered from it, Leicester suffered from it, Wolves suffered from it. So I think there is an argument to be said that the squads of the, you know, the, the not top six perhaps don't have the depth to deal with Europe. Um like like uh, perhaps they should, but if we're looking to be a top six club and we're looking to compete um, in Europe, then we have to get we have to find a way of dealing with it because at the moment we're not going to be good enough for the Champions League, and even if we were good enough for the Champions League, you're still playing a game, uh, uh, you know, on the Wednesday, it's only a day earlier or Tuesday. Um, so if we want to be one of these top six clubs, we've got to find a way to adjust and to deal with it. At the moment, our squad is not big enough. It's, it's, no. the, it's the bottom line. You know, you look at the bench on Saturday, a Sunday, it wasn't actually too bad because we haven't got any injuries. But you take three, three injuries, which we'll inevitably get at the same time. And all of a sudden, that bench is full of academy players at the moment. So, I mean, you've got to, we've got to get in another three or four players. Remember, you know, if Agued comes back, I think that's massive because I think he looks really good in pre-season. And from what I've heard of him, I think he'd be really good. Moyes, ultimately, I think wants to play five at the back. So you've got to think his plans have been scuppered quite badly by Agued's injury. Um, and so... I think, I think, I think we can deal. With, we've got to find a way to deal with you. We will. I will be very disappointed if we don't get through on Thursday. And then this is a chance for the likes of Ashby, Connor Coventry, some of those other fringe players to play well and to force themselves into the reckoning. So, so yeah, I think I think we I think we have to learn to deal with it and if there is bad results afterwards yes that's happened to other teams but we can't dwell on it we've got to learn a way to get around that yeah and you're right squad depth is an issue and it because if we had more players 
they would be good enough to get results against what's going to be substandard sides. So we could play our fringe players, play our academy players and still get wins and still progress through the competition to preserve our first team Premier League players to only play once a week. But at the moment, because of the squad depth or lack of it, you're having to use players that you probably wouldn't want to normally use because we just don't have players that can come in. And this is the problem. I think we've made some great signings this window. But when you look at the amount of fringe players that have gone versus those that have come in, we're still left with a pretty light squad. And that is the problem. Um, But then, you know, playing devil's advocate, X, um, we played Thursdays last season. And if I've got this right, I think after 11 games, I think we were third. So what's the difference in performance and mentality? Well, no, exactly. And, and the thing is, as well, when we're talking about the squad depth, Moyes is still not using Skamaka, Corne, Downs, you know, Gwed's obviously not been able to be played. That That's four signings, you know, and he only started Kera uh, because he we didn't have any other one, any other choice. So that's four players that we brought in that we haven't even had a chance to really use yet. Uh, the, the, from what I've seen of Corne, Especially, he looks really good, really good. I mean, he's going to be a real useful player for us. I mean, Skamaka has looked good as well. So once you get those two firing, the, the team changes quite dramatically just with those two in it because you can you can put Antonio as an attacking midfielder, arguably. I don't think, obviously, he's more of a winger, but you could try it. You can have Corne on the left, you can have Antonio on the right, you can put Bowen as an attacking midfielder. It gives you a lot more options. When Skamaka and Corne are considered fit enough to start, and I hope they will be very soon, and then once you get those two in and maybe one other, you know, or another two in, the squad dynamics change dramatically. So it's, it's not all doom and gloom at the moment. I know I've painted that picture at the moment, but there are things that we can do quite quickly to fix the situation. Yeah. Well, on a positive note for you, mate, I had a terrible weekend in the Predictions League. And you oh, I'm surprised okay. you mentioned it. Well, do you know what, mate? It's funny because I know we had so much to talk about today. Yeah. I actually thought, I'm not going to. But then yeah, I thought, I well, thought... in a week that he's won, he's going to he's gonna fucking dig me out if I don't. So <laughs> I, I am going to mention it um, because I, I, I did. I, I finished up on minus points. I had an absolute nightmare. But you've now clawed it back to just three points. I think it's about 65, 70 points between us going into this weekend. So I'm currently on 232 points and you're on 229. So it's incredibly close now. Yeah. Um, uh, cherry on the cake for me, really, after this fucking weekend. It's been a nightmare. <laughs> Absolute nightmare. Yeah. So, to be honest with you, there's no way after um, game week three, um, I'm going to start to drop too many bragging comments. I'm going to need to learn from my um, <laughs> my season last year, to be fair. Um, so whilst whilst I was happy with how things turned out, although, just to bemoan my luck a teeny bit, I had um, one game. Uh, score prediction, I can't remember which one it was now. One game score prediction exactly spot on, and then whoever it was scored in the last minute, and it was a bizarre one as well. I think it might have been Fulham Brentford. I can't remember which way round that ended up being the last minute goal. Fulham um, nicked it at the end, didn't they? There you go. Yeah, I think I think I might have even had. Two yeah, two all or something. I can't, oh, three. I can't remember what it was now, but a last minute goal changed something for me in that game. Um, so yeah, but I can't moan. I'm happy. It's good to be back with you. Um, and then we'll just see where we go from from there on. Obviously, we got the Man United Liverpool game to this afternoon just to conclude the weekend. Um, but uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. Let's be real. You're not Man City. You're never going to win the predictions league, are you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to quote our club captain. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No, no, I don't actually care about winning the predictions league. I, I literally would be happy to finish one from bottom as long as long as, as, long as, as I'm bottom. As long as you're bottom. That's all that matters, really. <laughs> oh God, am I? I'm actually okay. doing quite well in fantasy football. I might. Add, I know you've got no interest in this whatsoever, but no. I actually had a good weekend in fantasy football. I, I annoyingly, have been keeping faithful with um, Gerard Bowen, which um, has cost me these last uh, these last uh, few games. But um, I actually looking at my team, the average point score this week 
I don't know if it's not been updated because that's it. Oh, has there you go. Average point scores thirty-eight, and I got fifty-one with about three or four more players to to come in, and I'm actually not doing too bad. I mean, admittedly, in the West Ham way prediction league, I'm three thousand four hundred and forty-third, but I do believe we've got like thousands and thousands of managers in that league. So yeah, I was happy with my fantasy football week as well. Annoyingly, in the betting, at one point, because I, I do an accumulator, at one point I was like, it was literally due to win about £2,000 and I was thinking should I cash out should I cash out should I cash out and I thought no do you know what you're so close to winning £2,000 that the inevitable happened and a couple of teams got late goals and it bugging it so uh, stomach churner yeah, it is. But, um, yeah, I was happy with the, fact the predictions league. Anyway, it's, it's probably worth saying on the show now that we, me, you, and Cairo, the guy that basically runs it and produces it for us, are going to be meeting to, to, to work out how much money's been paid and agree all the prizes and stuff. So if you haven't paid in the last, you know, you haven't paid your entrance fee, you are going to be cut off. And even if we miss you, you're not going to be able to win one of the prizes because we can check. So please do get your money in in the next, you know, day or so if you're intending to do that. Yeah. See, that's cheered everyone up, hasn't it? Yeah, no, I'm trying to think of something positive to say now. Um, uh, actually, well, a positive is that, um, you know, we've got so much good content coming on the on the Patreon, so we've got some cracking interviews lined up, and it's worth noting now, because people do tend to sort of flutter a little bit with the transfer window and stuff. I honestly would say, and I know I'm biased, but stick around in September, and I think you'll be impressed. Also, we gave away so many tickets to the Brighton game yesterday, I think in total... Yeah. By the time I'd worked it all out, but we gave away eight tickets of a couple of them. It was just me pairing up a couple of people, but eight tickets we provided for people to get to the game um, yesterday. So yeah, and we and we apologise about that, everyone, for those yeah, that went. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's quite satisfying to help so many people go to games. And thank you to the patrons that are offering up tickets to do that as well. So uh, yeah, absolutely yeah, happy days. Yeah. Great sense of community on there. So it's our proudest achievement in relation to Patreon. Okay, let's see what X has for us this week. It's Macy's Labor Day sale, so gear up as summer cools down with 30% off timeless looks from Levi's and specials like 30 to 50% off statement making shoes for her and 60% off luggage from Samsonite and more. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and get an extra 20% off more great deals. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Going on now. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. There you are in the great wide open when you hear it. Dinner time. When you're hungry, you're not going to let 5,000 feet of mountain get in your way. And if they try, that's what Kia's lineup of exceptionally capable SUVs with available all-wheel drive is for. The Telluride, Sorento, Sportage, and Seltos are how you know we take this pretty seriously. The SUVs and the dinner. Hurry into your local Kia dealer today. Kia, movement that inspires. Visit Kia.com for details. Always drive safely. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.